0: All right, today we come to Matthew 15, and we'll be looking at the first 20 verses. Once upon a fairy tale, there was a proud emperor who cared for nothing except wearing and displaying clothes. He hired two swindlers who promised him the finest, best suit of clothes from a fabric invisible to anyone who was unfit for his position or hopelessly stupid. The emperor's ministers could not see the clothing themselves, but pretended that they could, for fear of appearing unfit for their positions, and the emperor did the same. Finally, the swindlers reported that the suit was finished. They mime-dressed him, and the emperor marched in procession before his subjects. The townsfolk played along with the charade, not wanting to appear stupid, And then a child in the crowd blurted out that the emperor was wearing nothing at all. And the cry was taken up by other people eventually. You might be familiar with that story. It comes from Hans Christian Andersen. In our text today, Jesus Jesus is going to reveal that the religious leaders were wearing nothing, spiritually speaking. And as usual, Jesus is not afraid to speak the truth like some of the people in the crowd were. And he does this in, the, in a debate uh, with the Pharisees and uh, the scribes. And, and the debate is over the washing of hands, this particular ritual that they, uh, they believed in. And so today we're going to see the theme is this, that true purity comes from with, within the inner person of the heart whereas empty religion comes from external codes of conduct let's jump into our passage here we're going to see that the, uh, the scribes or the Pharisees and the scribes challenge Jesus here in the first two verses look at verse 1 Matthew 15 verse 1 then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders For they do not wash their hands when they eat. What we have here is probably an official delegation. Uh, Notice where they're coming from. They're coming from Jerusalem. Why are they coming from Jerusalem all the way up to the northern region of Galilee to meet Jesus? Well, they want to test Jesus' knowledge and His faithfulness to the Torah, which was the Jewish law, the written law. And they want to do it in both the written and the oral parts, by the way. The mention of Jerusalem, uh, of course, is, you need to understand, is stressing uh, the hostility against Jesus' building. Uh, the, the, the action, if you will, in the book of Matthew is, is moving to the climactic part, which, of course, is the Passion Week. The leaders of the Jews, notice, they don't focus on Jesus but they focus on his disciples as, as the representatives of Jesus' teaching. Maybe they feel it's a bit easier to pick on them, I don't know. but It's interesting in verse 2, there's, there are three present tense verbs in verse 2. Uh, you'll notice the, f- the first one, do. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. There's a lot of present tense going on there. And the idea is that the, the Bible, God's showing us that, that you know they, they thought there was a lot of violations that these disciples had against the Jewish tradition. And did you notice what the Pharisees accused the disciples of breaking? Did you notice? Verse 2. They're accused of breaking the tradition of the elders. They, and by the way, they're not accused of breaking Scripture. They were accused of uh, breaking the oral tradition, not Scripture, not the Old Testament. They are accused of breaking oral tradition. Now, that's key to understanding this passage. Now, you need to understand something in Jesus' time period. These rules for the conduct of daily lives were transmitted orally. And they were later written down in in, uh, a, a book, if you will, what the Jews called the Mishnah. It was in, and in fact, in the Mishnah, there's an entire section that's filled with details of just washing your hands. They originally had a good purpose, by the way. Uh, they actually called it building a fence around the law. So in order to keep from breaking the law, they, would, they, they had these, these other rules to help them not break the law. They called it building a fence around the law. In other words, these traditions were to keep the common people, not just the Pharisees, but common people, from accidentally breaking the law. But the huge number of details, what, what ended up happening, is it became something very burdensome to, to the Israelites, and to the common Jew. Now, verse 2 says the disciples were accused of not washing their hands when they eat. Now, this particular rule... It uh, does not come from the Old Testament. It uh, doesn't come from the written Torah. But apparently, is, uh, as far as I understand, is something that actually comes um, or, or originated in the Pharisees' desire to extend the ritual that was required of the priest. Remember, when when priests were to come into the tabernacle, there was a, a laver or a basin there. And God told the, the priest, when you come into my presence, you wash your hands in that laver or basin. So apparently the the tradition ended up coming from that and then they ended up extending it to everybody when originally God said it was only for the priest coming into the tabernacle or temple. And so they ended up, the Pharisees ended up adding to that, of course, and it uh, it became something that every ordinary family in Israel was supposed to do at mealtime. Well, next we see Jesus' response to the Pharisees, starting in verse 3. Verse 3, he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, what would you have gained from me in giving, in, in, what gain from me is given to God? He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We'll stop there. Now, I really like Jesus' response here. Notice, first of all, my first question for you is this. Did Jesus defend his teaching? No, he doesn't actually come out and defend his teaching, at least not explicitly. He refuses to defend his teaching, but instead we see him going on the offensive against the Pharisaic tradition here. Why would he do that? Well, I don't know, but this I do know, that their sin was something that was very serious. Jesus gets gets to the hard issues here, dealing with their sin. Jesus, in fact, just disregarded the man-made teaching of the elders. And, in fact, Jesus said they were actually setting aside the very word of God. And on top of that, their tradition was the very cause of their their grievous disobedience. Now, in verse 4, Jesus stresses the fifth commandment. But also the fact that there's two quotes he's quoting from the book of Exodus uh, here. And notice Jesus says, God commanded this. Jesus is saying, God commanded this. This is not oral tradition from the tradition of the elders. No, God commanded you to do this. Jesus makes that very, very clear here. And this command is, again, it's not oral tradition. God commanded it, coming from the book of Exodus. So when Jesus says, honor your parents, he means do it all the time. Not just when you're five years old, but all the time, even when you grow up. He meant not just to hold one's parents in high esteem, but he meant you need to care for your parents even when you are grown up and out of the home. And he meant care for them financially as well as in other ways. And so this command is applicable Not just when you're young, but this is applicable for us even as adults as well. And so in case you, by the way, you missed the serious responsibility that Jesus is giving here, Jesus then adds the part about speaking evil of a parent. Not just honoring, but he talks about speaking evil against parents. Interestingly enough, the context comes from Exodus 21, and the context of Exodus 21 Anybody know what the context is? So Jesus, as as he's talking about speaking evil against your parents, he's quoting from Exodus 21, and the context is about capital punishment. Interesting, isn't it? So Jesus wants to show how serious uh, these responsibilities to parents were, which, of course, the Pharisees and the scribes were not taking this responsibility seriously. Well, sadly, the first words in verse 5, notice, is but you. Often that's not going to be good <laughs> when Jesus is talking about responsibility and the next words are but you. And so what is he doing here? Jesus is highlighting their serious error that they have made. Now, it, it, the com- One of the companion passages is in the book of Mark. And Mark actually names this practice as Corban. Corban means a gift devoted to God. This was property or money pledged to the temple to be given after a person died. It It was kind of similar to someone's last will and testament, if you will. That money could no longer be used for outside things, for example, like caring for one's parents. However, interestingly enough, it was available to the person who was pledging it, and they could use it during their lifetime until they died. But it was off-limits to the parents. Now, here's the end result. This tradition allowed children to escape their biblical obligation to take care of their parents. It was not something in the Bible. But it, again, it was, it was just oral tradition that the, that the the Jews had added to the law. Now look at these sobering words in verse 6. Because God says, "He said, well, if you look at verse 6, he says, uh, He need not honor his father, so for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of God. The word void there means to legally invalidate or revoke the very Word of God. They were doing this through their tradition. Now, what's the point? Jesus emphasizes the negative results when tradition is placed over Scripture. Should tra- tradition, church tradition, or family tradition, or any other kind of tradition ever be placed above Scripture? No, no way. Jesus is, is validating Scripture always trumps tradition and by the way the bible the god's word should always be our final rule for faith and practice whether that's for our church or your individual life or your family or by the way that should also carry over into the workplace so scripture is our final authority at least for our church it is but sadly they didn't believe that truth and so as a result notice what jesus calls them Jesus calls them hypocrites. That's an interesting word. One commentator said this: uh, If you don't know the original, uh, the origin, sorry, of hypocrites, here's what this commentator says. I quote: a, a hypocrite originally was an actor who wore a mask in a Greek play, thereby pretending he was something he was not. So it came to be used for a person who looked one way on the outside, but was something else on the inside. End quote. Now, do you understand what Jesus is saying here about these religious leaders? When he calls them a hypocrite, uh, I have a pretty good idea Jesus is is thinking this sort of thought here. He's literally saying the Pharisees are people who claim to be one thing, but their actions are actually showing them to be something else. The actions are proving they are something else. So what does Jesus mean when he says, notice it's interesting here, In verse 7, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? Was Isaiah actually prophesying about these people at this time? What does Jesus mean when he says that? Well, you need to understand, Jesus is using typology here. In other words, what I'm saying is this. The Pharisees and the scribes, they fit the pattern perfectly. And uh, or also a typological fulfillment of the, the passage that Jesus is talking about there. And by the way, verses 8 and 9 are actually cited from Isaiah chapter 29. In case you're interested, you probably see that in your Bible if you have a footnote or a cross-reference. Now you see the people of Isaiah's time honored God. They did this in their temple worship. They performed the sacrifices. They would sing the Hallel Psalms. But in reality, Jesus is saying, and Isaiah said it as well, that their heart was far from God. In reality, in their heart of hearts, they were not serving God. They said the right things, but they didn't think the right things. And what does God think about that? What does God say about that? Well, God says that that kind of worship is actually folly. God says that kind of worship is empty. It's worthless. All the while, the Pharisees claim to be developing doctrine. And Jesus says, they're just coming up with man-made rules. So before God, what is Jesus saying? He's saying these man-made rules are purposeless, and they don't actually have any value. And in fact, Jesus is implying that they have negative value. So, this is a warning in our day as well, then. Verses 8 and 9 are at the heart of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. You want to know what it means to be a true follower of Christ? Well, it's not the externals. Jesus is saying it's what's on the inside of you, which shows whether or not you are actually a follower of Christ. A true follower of Christ thinks the things of God rather than the things of mankind. A true follower of Christ Thinks uh, uh, the things that are above rather than things that are on the earth. True follower of Christ seeks treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth. So let me ask you, my friend, where is your heart? Where is your heart? Is it on earth or heaven? Is it on you or on Christ? Well, if you're like me, you'll find that often it's in the wrong place. Even as a Christian, and one who has been now a Christian for over well over 30 years, unfortunately, I'm very inconsistent and sinful and an idolatrous human being. We need, we need to constantly come back to Scripture to reevaluate where is our heart. Well, what Jesus is showing us here that true purity comes from within the inner person of the heart. That's the theme of this passage. True purity comes from within the inner person of the heart. Whereas empty religion, the the, the kind of religion of the the, uh, Pharisees, for example, comes from external codes of conduct. So let's not be guilty of empty religion. Then in verse 10, we see Jesus' teaching of the crowd. He didn't want to leave them out. So look at verse 10. Verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So Jesus had made his point to the Pharisees. He wanted to make uh, certain the crowd understands the issue as well. He didn't want to leave them out. Uh, Apparently the crowd is kind of standing off in the background. They're probably listening to this, uh, probably a rather heated discussion between Jesus and this delegation from Jerusalem. But now we see Jesus, he he actually, instead of leaving them in the background, he brings them to the forefront. Why, you say? Well, obviously, Jesus intended to teach them. It's almost like Jesus looks at the Pharisees and the scribes as as impossible and, and pointless, He wanted to teach the crowd, so he brings them to the forefront. Well, so far the attention's been on the external tradition and its authority. And here we see Jesus turning to the deeper issue of inner purity. He wants the crowd not just to hear, but notice he wants them to understand the truth as well. Interestingly enough, in the Greek, that word understand is in the present tense, which just means it's, 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 it's something ongoing. It's continuous, in other words. It's not a one-time action. Jesus wants them to continually understand. He's calling them to continually understand and to have an ongoing hearing. Now, why is that important? Well, if let me put it this way. If all the, the crowd did was just listen, then they're just going to remain the crowd. But when they understand and they respond to Jesus, then at that point is when they actually become disciples of Christ. So understanding has, hopefully you're seeing this in the book of Matthew, understanding and, and listening, having ears to hear, Jesus says, is becoming the distinctive response for true disciples of Christ. Otherwise, you just you're still the crowd. You're not in the inner circle, if you will. Well, look, at, look now at verse 11. What an amazing statement in verse 11. Because Jesus says, It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. That's an amazing statement Jesus is making. So what is Jesus actually saying there? It's, in other words, it's not the external things that produce impurity. Now remember, the context started with the washing of hands. That's an example of an external thing. But Jesus says it's those thoughts and the the words from our heart that make a person impure. In other words, your actions and words are the true measure of who you really are. What you think is what you are, is who you are. It's an amazing statement because the Pharisees and scribes focus so much on the externals. But Jesus is clearly saying it, That true purity comes from the inner person of the heart. Number four, we see Jesus' teaching of the disciples here. As usual, He's focusing on them. He wants them to listen and understand as well. Now look at verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to Him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? By the way, what's the answer to that question? Of course he knew. (laughs) The answer is yes, he knew. Anyway, verse 13. He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Wow. Well, the disciples, they've been watching the religious leaders, obviously. They obviously noticed that the Pharisees were rather upset. Uh, in fact, they, it, it says uh, they were offended. Interesting Greek word. From the Greek word there, we actually get our English word scandalize or scandal. They were literally scandalized by what Jesus had told them. They were offended, they were upset. And, and that word offended, by the way, has, has a double meaning. It's interesting. The Jewish leaders, they were angered, yes. But it goes above and beyond that. They were, and the connotation here is, in fact, that they were actually falling into sin and they were apostatized. And so there's this connection with the rejection of God's Messiah here. They're actually literally rejecting Jesus Christ as Messiah. And they're angry. Why? You say why? Well, well, they realize Jesus was, of course, speaking about their overly extensive purity laws. Now, how does Jesus reply? Well, Jesus' reply in thirteen is a rather strong condemnation, is it not? He's saying he. he, he notice he talks about them as plants. By the way, hopefully, you remember Jesus. Earlier on in Matthew, talked about the weeds, the parable of the weeds. He also gave the parable of the soils. So hopefully, hopefully you keep that imagery in your mind because this is certainly what Jesus is referring to here. He calls them plants, and so these Pharisees, he says, have not originated with God. To be planted by God means to be a part of His garden. He's literally saying they're not a part of God's garden. So this verse clearly says the Pharisees are not of God. In other words, they're not Christians. They're not saved. They're not his disciples. They were religious but lost. So in fact, judgment is going to come on them as a result of their apostasy. Uh, the words will be rooted up. Notice in your English translation, it's in the future tense. Appropriately in the future tense. Uh, it's, it's a divine passive. It, the idea is there. It means this is something that's it's going to happen in the last judgment. Something happened in the future that they will be rooted up. And God's going to reject and destroy them, which, of course, is, a, again, that reference referring back to the parable of the weeds and the net. So how should apostates be treated? Jesus thinks of these Pharisees and scribes as apostates, as false teachers. How did he treat them? Well, he, he says, let them be. That's interesting. Since the Pharisees are not of God, Jesus tells the disciples to have nothing to do with them. In other words, there's no use debating with really stubborn, rebellious people like this. Why? Well, Jesus here, Jesus says uh, they think of themselves as guides for the blind. That's an interesting description, is it not? There are actually guides here that are blind. They're not guiding blind. Jesus is saying, they are blind. Okay, You understand the difference? He's, he's calling them blind. They're not, not only blind leading the blind. Jesus is speaking of spiritual blindness here. Not, not physical. So the Jewish leaders consider themselves to be teachers of the law, but Jesus says, that's not the case. They're not actually teachers of the law. They don't know the truth. So they're blind to god's truth they're blind to god's law therefore they're blind to god's truths then aren't they that's that's the point and and even worse than that it goes above and beyond that jesus says they're they're only going to increase the blindness of the people they influence and notice jesus says if blind are leading the blind it's not just one person falling both are actually going to fall so it's, it's a double whammy here. Interestingly enough, at this point, Peter jumps into the conversation. He often speaks for the whole group, and, and, uh, and, and in this case, that's what he's doing. It's, it's actually in the plural here, showing that Jesus is speaking for the whole group. He's not just singularly speaking for himself. Now, why, why is he doing this? Why is he asking questions? Well, the disciples want to understand what Jesus was teaching. They didn't understand. In fact, Jesus' reply to them was rather interesting. Uh, how does Jesus reply to the disciples? Well, he's actually amazed. Did you notice that? After all the teaching they've re- received up to this point, they're still dull, they're still senseless, and they're still foolish. And so Jesus actually rebukes them for that. Jesus told the crowds to listen and understand, but sadly, the disciples didn't fully get it, even at this point. They failed to listen and understand. Look at verse 17. What's the point of verse 17 here? Well, verse 17 says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, passes into the stomach, is is expelled? What's the point of that? Well, Jesus' point is that he's talking about the natural process of your body, of course. The body, you know, when you eat... You don't normally think about that whole process too much, do you? Unless something goes wrong, <laughs> you end up in the hospital or something. You might think about it then. But God has designed our body in an amazing way. You you, you can eat things, and your body just you know gets the nutrients from whatever you you eat and drink, and then gets rid of the rubbish. That's the process that Jesus is talking about. And so, you know, the this, this stuff, you know, the food just simply passes through your system, and and it does it actually affect your standing with God? No. Jesus said, the, the, you know, the food going through your system, is not affecting your standing with God. All foods that could possibly defile have no effect. They just simply disappear. In fact, Mark, uh, the Gospel according to Mark, actually backs this up. And, and Mark says that Jesus declared all foods clean. All foods clean. Remember in the Old Testament, not all foods we're, we're open for everybody to eat. But uh, Jesus now in the New Testament declares we can eat all foods. Now, praise God. I, I love that because I like eating pork amongst other things. You probably do too. It's nothing like a good piece of bacon, right? Or a salted pork or ham or something like that. Oh, good stuff. But, you know, the Jews weren't allowed to eat some things like that. But now Jesus says all foods are clean. Praise the Lord. Well, Jesus talks about the heart here, doesn't he? So, so we need to actually define what the heart is. I want to make sure you understand this. What, what is Jesus' perspective on the heart? Uh, because he's, he's not just talking about that organ in your body that pumps the blood through your system. And interestingly enough, the Greek word is cardia. You may have heard of cardiac arrest, you know, when you have a heart attack. Uh, well, that comes from the Greek. Cardia refers, though, not to the organ. It refers to your whole person. It includes your thoughts, your feelings, uh, everything that makes people what they are. So your emotions as well. So in verse 18, Jesus' point here focuses on the difference between, notice, what goes in and what comes out of the mouth. So it's not external things like food, but the inner thoughts of your heart that are truly defining who you are. And it tells what kind of a person you are. You are what you think. What comes from your inner being? Well, look at verse 19. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. Jesus uh, mentions in verse 19 various things like uh, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Uh, Matthew's focusing on the sins of the tongue as well as of the thought life. Notice it's, Matthew's focusing on things that come out of your mouth, things that come from your thoughts, from your heart. Uh, by the way, most of those sins come from the second part of the Ten Commandments. Uh, most of those second part of the Ten Commandments, I hope you know, remember, are, are things showing us how we love people. Uh, the first part of the Ten Commandments shows us how to love God. The second part shows you how to love people. And so Matthew's focusing on that. So what is Jesus' conclusion to the matter? Well, in verse 20, Jesus goes back to the issue of, that we read earlier in verse 2, and he gives his legal, legal verdict. <laughs> you know, he's kind of avoided the, the issue, so to speak, at this point. And then what he does is he applies the general principle of verse 11 to the specific case of washing of your hands. And he what's his conclusion? That no external act, for example, like washing... A ritual washing of hands has anything to do with true purity. Does does washing your hands affect your heart? No, of course not. That's Jesus' point. You're not going to wash your heart. You're not going to make your heart clean and pure before God by just simply washing your hands. Therefore, the fact that disciples eat with unwashed hands now may be unwise, Okay, as we know today. uh, You can actually get sick by... Uh, eating food with unclean hands. You haven't washed. So, but that's not the point here. Jesus is saying you're not going to make your heart clean by washing your hands. So again, we see that true purity comes from with the, the inner person of the heart, whereas what about empty religion? Empty religion is just external stuff. It's those external codes of conduct. So how can we apply this wonderful passage to our lives? Number one. Jesus is your final interpreter of the Old Testament. Jesus is your final interpreter of the Old Testament. Okay. Unfortunately, the Pharisees didn't believe that. And this has massive implications for your life, for our church, for your family, for the workplace, uh, for the universal church as well. And Interesting enough, Paul a- addresses this issue about externals. And, and how they affect us, to, when he was writing his letter to the Colossians. Look at, look at this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, let me put this in my own words. Jesus fulfilled the law. Everything you see in the Old Testament pointed to Christ. Okay, so things like keeping of the Sabbath, keeping all the various rituals and traditions—that you know, like the stuff going on in the tabernacle and the temple, the, the sacrificial system—those things were to point people to Christ. He's the substance. All right, let's move on. Uh, here in Colossians two, it says, "Let no one disqualify you." insisting on asceticism that's that's denying yourself you know beating yourself you know starving yourself and all sorts of things people do as well as worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head that's jesus from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from god If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Here's just a few regulations. Jesus mentions three of them here. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These outward external things, He's talking about there. These things have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If you don't believe that, just ask Martin Luther when you get to heaven. Because he tried it all. Sleeping on concrete floors, starving himself, whipping himself, beating himself. You know, he, he tried all those sort of things. It doesn't work. Number two. Human teachings must always be judged on the basis of their adherence to the truths of God found in the Bible. Now, there's a problem that you and I need to fight against. Uh, Many Christians Christians have their favorite standards that are, uh, unfortunately, often raised to the level of doctrine. And uh, we, we often do this, by the way, both in the area of of Theory, as well as our practice, now you need to understand something about me. I grew up in a fundamentalist tradition where it was essential to have standards for almost everything. So when I grew up, you know we had all sorts of traditions, uh, for example i don 't have time to talk about all of them, so i 'll just give you two so you can get an idea of the fundamentalist tradition I grew up, for example. Uh, We were not allowed to go to movies, never allowed to go to movie theaters. Uh, Women were not allowed to wear pants. So we had all these sort of external rules that we were supposed to follow. And and in and of themselves, those standards are not necessarily bad things. uh, Most of them were actually good things and helpful. Uh, Many of them ended up being institutional rules, like in my Christian school I went to. And uh, all institutions need rules, by the way, so you know, many, many of those things were, were helpful. But what happened in, in my life, and, and a lot of people, probably most people, is, is the external uh, things uh, ended up becoming signs of what a true Christian looked like. And if you didn't follow those external standards, then you were not looked at as a Christian. And so I felt that if I strictly followed those standards, then I was godly, when looking back now, in reality, I wasn't godly. Now, here's the deal. Okay? Here's the deal. Our lifestyle, as well as our doctrinal system, must at all times flow out of the demands of God's revealed truths. Okay? Not just church tradition or any other tradition. Okay? I'm not saying that all church tradition is bad. That's not the point. But everything you and I do, what we believe, must uh, adhere to the truths of God found in the Bible. In fact, again, we see this coming from Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. So, as you can see, there a lot of times there's philosophies and and human tradition that, with a lot of people, ends up trumping Christ. And it shouldn't be that way. He's the head of all rule and authority. So, judge everything according to God's word. Number three. Be most concerned about purity in the eyes of God. Be most concerned about purity in the eyes of God. The reality is, though, uh, people are often more concerned with looking good on the externals. They, you know, they, they, they care more about, uh, what, in other words, what other pe- people think a lot of times than what God actually knows about you. So until we live the life at home that we pretend to live at church, Jesus actually calls you a hypocrite. You're you're like someone in that Greek play, putting on the mask and pretending to be someone you're not. Or pretending not to be something you really are. The reality is, God knows. You know, you can fool some people some of the time, but you'll never fool God. (laughs) God knows your heart. He sees what's going on inside you. And so God's going to judge you by the reality of your heart, not by your externals. So we need to be more concerned about our inner purity. Number four, make certain you are not an idolater. Okay, you understand, an idolater is not somebody who just carves a piece of wood and bows down and worships it. All, right? All right, we, We've moved way beyond that now, right? although there are still people doing that. You need to understand, there's few people in history who worked harder at maintaining their religious life than the Pharisees. They were the most religious people, probably, of their time. Now perfectly good intentions, perfectly good intentions lay uh, often lay behind their laws and their practices, but Jesus said they may have been religious, but they were still lost. so the problem was in the fact that the externals took priority over the internal truths of God. Jesus mentioned some of those, remember, for example, they didn 't honor their parents, but you know they were quite. Quite into the tradition of washing their hands, you know, they always washed their hands before and after dinner, but they didn't honor their parents. And so, when they rejected God's Messiah, they actually rejected the God of the Bible. And what that often ends up happening is it ends up leading us to do more externals because we got to make up for, for the the truth we rejected. So we got to do other stuff to kind of. You know, help us make, make us feel better. And so when the inner reality is gone, then external appearance is all we have left. And you know what that is? That becomes idolatry. Number five. Consider the sins of your heart before you consider the actions of your life. My point here, and I think Jesus' point is, remember, that true purity comes from the inner person of your heart. That should be your focus. Okay? When that's right, all the external things, what you say, what you do, is going to be right. The problem with the Pharisees was the false order of their priorities, and that's our difficulty as well, by the way. all right. Uh, probably most of us are little Pharisees. I certainly was, and probably still am in some ways, uh, probably too many ways. We all have blind spots. And so until the heart is changed, actions are never going to be sufficient then, are they? Uh, If you have evil thoughts controlling your mind, then you shouldn't think your actions are actually godly. Uh, For example, I mean, there's uh, internet pornography is a massive problem, even within the church today. Hopefully not in us, I hope. If it is, then we need to have talk about that. But uh, there's many people who claim to be Christians, particularly men, a uh, massive problem. I've read statistics that, like, for example, within the United States, 50% of the men that go to church look at Internet pornography. It's a massive problem. And so what can happen is guys, guys and ladies, you know, they look at this stuff too. You know they they can think they're okay, you know, and and, you know go to church and sing praises to God and read their Bibles and go and witness and give money to God and do all this other stuff, but they have very evil, wicked thoughts. Their heart is far from God, and then they go and then they put on this charade in church. And so when we're immersed in such wicked thoughts, I mean, how can we go somewhere and actually be pretending to serve God? God's not impressed. God's going to think about us the same way he did here in verses 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So, we shouldn't do that, should we? We need to get our house in order first. Well, my friend, how about you? How about you? Do you stand before God with clean hands only? Yeah, I'm not saying clean hands are bad, but is that is that you know the, is that the only thing you know? Do you get the the mere ceremonial religion light right, or do you come with a new clean heart? By the way, washing our hands in a religious way is is not the issue today, okay. But the principle certainly applies in other areas, okay. So don't just focus on washing hands because we don't really do that in a religious way. I mean, I'll give you some examples. For some people, this type of ceremonial religion means good works. Uh, maybe perhaps giving money to poor people or donating to charity. Uh, for some people, it might look like, um, you know, they, they try to have religious observance in other ways. You know, some people, you know, they'll attend church services regularly. They're always faithful. Another person might place weight on, uh, you know, standing or sitting in their prayer. Whether they're praying, or, or uh, maybe, you know, some people, you know, they, they go into great detail on how you're supposed to hold your prayer book. Or, uh, you, know, you know, did you cross yourself when you entered the church building? You know, th- these are sort of things that people really make big deals out of them, and, and other things. And so if you've been understanding religion in these or similar ways, you, you might have discovered that ceremonial things do nothing to actually change the nature of your heart. You know, how you hold a prayer book and how you sing or, you know, you know when you pray, if, if you're on your knees or standing, doesn't isn't going to change your heart. So regardless of how often you go to church, you're still going to have sin coming out of your heart. Well, my friend, the Bible has good news for you. If you've been beat up by Jesus' message here, <laughs> he has some good news for you. Number one, you have two problems, okay? Here's the problems. Number one, you need forgiveness of your sins, Sin is your problem. Second, you need a new heart that's actually going to enable you to stop sinning and actually begin to serve God. And so, let me ask you this Where can forgiveness be found? Well, you're not going to find it at a shop. <laughs> There's no shop anywhere in the world where you're going to find forgiveness. Where can a new heart be found? Not online. The good news is that Jesus Christ, He came, and when He came, He gave you both of those things. He gave you forgiveness and a new heart. And so when He he died on the cross for your sin, He made forgiveness possible. He bore the punishment for your sin. He took your place. Propitiation means that Jesus was a wrath absorber. He received God's wrath that you deserve. And then he rose again to impart the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit is the source of new life. And it's God alone who can give you a heart that's actually capable of loving and serving him. And so, my friend, do you want a new heart? Or do you want to be like the Pharisees and the scribes who never received that new heart? And as a result, when they died, they went to hell. Which do you want? A new heart? Well my friend the only place you're ever going to get ever going to get it is from God. So the invitation to you and to everybody is please come to God and ask for this new heart. Because true purity comes from the inner person of the heart whereas empty external lifeless dead religion is just the externals. It's your external conduct and it never saves.